You know, uh, probably our biggest challenge uh, as we try to share the good news of the gospel is understanding where people are coming from. And, you know, uh, it's, it's interesting what our pop culture and what our American culture, how people view uh, the world. Uh, for instance, surveys constantly show that most adults believe the majority, the, the, more than the majority of adults believe that a good person can earn a place in heaven. That it's just be a good person. And yet, every, even churches teach this view. So it's widely held. Uh, so people that you work with, your family members, other people around you, your peers, they just assume that it's just about being a good person. Uh, or, or here's another one. Men and women under the age of 25 think that all beliefs are equally valid. You know, and, you know, but if you think about it, some of the views that they hold as equally valid are contradictory. Like when you play them out, you say, well, they both can't be true at the same time because they contradict one another. Uh, let me give you another one. Most people uh, just don't think the gospel, and this is probably maybe the most vast one in our culture. Most people just don't think the gospel is relevant. They don't see how it matters in their day-to-day life. Um, and then the last one, uh, we talked a little bit about this last week. Uh, most people don't really see any difference between the life of the Christian and their life. They just say, you say that you're a Christian, but... You know, so they don't see much of a difference. Now, last week I made the point that we must live our lives in such a way that people are required to stop and to take notice. Um, in fact, the passage we're going to look at, Peter anticipates that, that, that the Christians are living a life in such a, a public, in such an uh, uh, open way that people are coming to them and asking them about their hope. And we'll see why that is. And what I'm suggesting is that we must show them the hope and the power of the gospel as we live it out in our pop culture. And that's what people Peter is calling it, uh, Christians to do of his day. In our passage, Peter's writing to Christians who are persecuted. They're going through ter- tremendous persecution. They were uh, dealing with the iron rod of Rome, and Peter is preparing them not only for persecution, but he's giving them instructions on how to live well with hope, but ultimately, if need be, how to die. And many did. Many did. Many many Christians died under the harsh rod of Rome. Uh, but none of us in this Western world are going to face that type of persecution. At least we haven't in our in our lifetimes. And, and you know, and the consequences of our day uh, just don't measure up to that. Now, there are Christians around the world, third world countries and communist countries where Christians are routinely persecuted and executed because of their faith. Our biggest, probably our biggest concern in America is just one word, it's rejection. We're afraid that we'll be rejected, that people think we're weird. And, uh, but we, here's the point. We have a gospel message which can transform a life and an eternal destiny. And God has chosen us to be the ones to bring this gospel message to our, uh, to, you know, this message of hope to, to, to our life uh, in our world and our culture. So here's what I want to talk about uh, this weekend. Uh, we need to be ready to give a good answer to those who ask us about the hope that's within us. And that's essentially what First Peter 3, verse 13 
is saying to us, verse 13 through 16. I want to read that passage from 1 Peter. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, there's chair Bibles, and you can pull one out. And I don't know what page it's on, but it's in the New Testament, towards the end of the New Testament. And, and um, I, I want to read you that passage right now. 1 Peter 3, verse 13. Uh, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, uh, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ as Lord, uh, the, Christ the Lord is holy. And then he says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are uh, slandered, those who revile you, your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Now, I think, I want to give you three reasons why I think we often fumble the gospel, okay? Why, why do we do this? Why do we fumble it? Well, the three things I think that, that happen in our lives. Number one is fear. And what I want you to do is I want you to, 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 to take away this, this principle. Don't fear people. Give them a better answer. Don't fear people. Give them a better, better answer. Here's what this verse is not saying. Because many people have taken this verse, and, and they basically, and, and usually they're extroverts, and they love talking with people, and they can start a conversation with a tomato. I mean, they just can talk with it. They can talk with everyone. And I have a friend in Chicago who's like, he's totally extrovert, and he just can start a conversation with anyone about anything. And I was out there in Chicago, and he, we were in a cab, and immediately started a conversation with a cabbie, you know, and had this, uh, you know, that's just the way he is. I would have just sat there quietly. That's just, I'm different. I'm wired differently. But here's what this verse isn't telling us. The Bible tells us that we're to be prepared to give an answer to those who ask about our hope. We're not called to speak to everyone that we come in contact with, Okay. Because some people have taken this verse, many mainly insert the word extrovert there, and, and pastor there, and basically said, you know, everybody that you come in contact with, you should have to begin a conversation with them. And I'm just saying, that's not what this verse is saying. This is a, give an answer to those who ask you. So we're not, to, we're not called to speak to everyone we come in contact with, and we shouldn't feel guilty if we don't. But now let's not go to the other extreme, because there are some times where we have an opportunity. And we, we should share. And here's the other thing this verse is insane. We're called to explain our hope. We're not called to, to share somebody else's hope, somebody else's life. Somebody, and what I mean by that is this. We answer the question, why is Christianity important to us? What does Jesus mean to me? You don't need to know everything about Jesus, you know, and the gospel. You don't have to solve the problem of evil. You don't have to remember. You know, the, the bottom line is we're not called to be like C.S. Lewis for everyone, you know. And, and we're not called to, to be able to answer like Josh McDowell and, and all this stuff. We're called just to give our testimony. Remember, we talked last weekend about the woman at the well. And, and Jesus met her and met her at her need. And she went running into town and she said, you need to come meet this guy. And they came out and the people of the town came out and said, we came out because you told us we need to meet this guy who told you everything. And now we have, but now we believe because we've heard it too. And so what did this woman share? She only shared what she knew. So you don't have to talk to everyone. You don't have to share everything and have, be able to answer every question. You just have to share what you know and share where you're at and what God and Christ has done in your life. That's it. Now, here's what I found. God will often align us with the people around us 
And they'll, then we'll be able to minister and share what we can that will help them. In other words, God kind of puts us together with people at times where we're able to answer many of the questions they have. It, 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 it may be that what's going on is maybe you went through a struggle and you looked out for God and God helped you through that struggle and you share that. And they say, you know, I'm going through that same struggle right now. And you can say, well, this is what worked for me. This would help me. So you're just sharing what worked for you. Um, I think, though, one of the main reasons we don't share our faith is fear. Most of us don't like conflict. I mean, I know there are people out there that just love conflict and love looking for it. I don't. I, I, I just don't look like conflict. Uh, but no one wants to face rejection. We don't want to face rejection of our family members, our co-workers, our neighbors, and our colleagues. And we, we don't want to lose favor with people. We don't want to, uh, you know, we don't want to... Um, lose a promotion or, you know, opportunities. Uh, we, just, we don't want to do that. We, we want acceptance with our peer group. We want to be included. Most of us do. So we, we don't want to share stuff that kind of makes us kind of out there. You know, well, they're one of those guys, you know, and you're off on your own little island there. Uh, you know, but in the first century, Peter basically is dealing with a different group of people. They were r- routinely tortured to death for their faith, but they faced rejection, imprisonment, and death with hope. Um, they stood out like a light. They challenged their culture. They were like salt. Uh, in the early centuries of the church, cr- many Christians accepted death with tranquility, knowing that they would be reunited w- in the world to come. They had an eternal hope. And in contrast, the pagans refused to be comforted. Now, the pagan set of believers, this is what the pagan set of the Christians in their day. It says, they carry their dead as if in triumph. They carry their dead as if in triumph. Now, where do they get that? Is the, it's that living hope. It's that hope that they found. And that's really what it comes down to for us. We need to develop a living hope. You know, we all, we, we all hope for things in our lives, don't we? I mean, I know I do. Uh, some of you hoped for, uh, you know, Denver last weekend, and that didn't work out so well. Or you hope you get an Anna test, or you say, I hope they hire me, or, I, or you say, I hope she says yes, or I hope he remembers Valentine's Day is Friday this week, go today, you know, get it done early, you know. That, that's, a, that's actually not you know, a a hope probably, but it's a reminder anyways, if nothing else. (laughs) But here's the thing. Our hopes don't always come true, do they? No, they don't. But let me read you a passage. And this is, this is, this is how you build that living hope. This is, this is how you kind of like say, well, how do I have that hope? How do I carry that hope with me through the, this is a passage. You meditate on it, reflect upon it. And here it is. First Peter chapter one, verse three. You need to write this down. First Peter 1, 3 through 5. Let me read it to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. What is this saying? Essentially what Peter's saying is we have a living hope. Why? Because Christ is alive. Because he has a, we have a living Savior who rose from the dead. And because he was raised, we will be raised. 
We have a hope that is alive. And Peter basically says, this lie, it's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading. And, and what, what we have to do is we have to keep reading and reflecting and realizing we have a hope that nothing can shake us. And I'm going to do a series after uh, this uh, next, after we finish this one. And it's going to be in the book of Hebrews. And that's essentially the theme of Hebrews is there's a hope, a living hope that if we get a hold of that hope and that hope gets a hold of us, we have a confidence. We, we understand that we don't have to worry about what other people think. We have this living hope. And Peter is saying just because Jesus lives, we will live. And, and, and when we are, I think when we're reluctant to share the good news and we were af- afraid of being rejected and, and, and uh, how people will view us, I think it really comes down to that we've allowed this living hope to grow cold in us. So may God help us to remind ourselves and to reflect on this, this uh, living hope. And read and reread these passages. Maybe commit them to memory. And, and what that does is it builds a reservoir of hope that no matter what life can throw at us, no matter what we run into, we still have this hope. We have this hope. We want others to share it too because it's precious to us. So that's the first thing. Secondly, uh, so we're, we, we don't share the gospel because of fear. Secondly, we don't share the gospel because of arrogance. Uh, and, and here what I want to say is don't disrespect people. Love them. You know, notice Peter, Peter tells them how we are to answer. He says, be ready to give an answer. But he says, but here's how you should answer. This is the tone. This is the way. This is the manner. This is how you should do it. Uh, he says, do it with gentleness and respect. You know, too often Christians are bent on winning arguments. Let me just say this. You will never argue a person into heaven. You're never going to say, you know, win an argument and say, now I won the argument. Right, right. Okay. So what are you going to do? Well, I want to trust Christ and go to heaven. You know, it's never going to happen. You know, what I found is when people argue with me, I just say, I don't care whether you're right or not. You may be right, but I'll never admit it. Right? You'll never argue anybody. You know, we're not called to, we're called to win people, not arguments. Yet what I see Christians out there doing is trying to say, I'm going to win as many arguments as I can. And people say, I like what Dave Barry said. He said this. He says, I can win an argument on any topic against any opponent. People know this and steer clear of me at parties. Often, a sign of great respect is they don't even invite me. (laughs) Now, this past week, um, I was in Chicago, but I watched this debate between uh, Bill Nye and and, uh, Ken Ham. And I really appreciated the, the civility and the good behavior that both men had and the respect, the, the, the respect that the men had. They disagreed drastically in their views. But there was a level of respect and civility that I think was good. And that is a model of what we're to follow. We're to follow this, this model that we can have polarizing ideas, but we still can have respect and treat each other with decency. 
uh, and civility. And, and I, I really respected that. And I thought it was helpful because I learned a lot from listening to Bill Nye share his view of the universe. And it helped me to understand his rational and how he was thinking and what, what, it, what the challenges were that he had. And what I'm saying in all of this is very simply summarizes this. Don't be a jerk for Jesus. Right? Don't be a jerk for Jesus. There's too many of them out there. Peter says be gentle and respectful. And Christians ought to be some of the most civil and gracious people on the planet. Right? Because we're not here to win an argument. We're not here to be jerks either. How do we fix this? And, and this could be taken the wrong way. Speak the truth in love. No. By the way, I, I, I'm tired of people saying, in all due respect, or um, they'll put some disclaimer, and then they'll just kind of slap you around for about 10 minutes. You know, and it's like, all right, that doesn't work, you know. Speaking the truth in love is it's really a hard balancing act. We must genuinely care for the other person. Um, too often, we speak against the person before we take the time to get to know the person. Have you ever done that? Have you ever said, well, I'm going to give them the truth, you know. They may not like it, but I'm going to give it to them. I'm going to jam it down their throats, you know. You know, but you, here's what I think speaking the truth is. By the way, if you are married tonight, you're in a relationship with another person, speaking the truth in love is so absolutely critical for a good, healthy marriage relationship. And here's what I mean by uh, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love means that we search for the best way and we seek the right time and we use the most helpful words to communicate the truth. And in this case, the truth of the gospel. So we say, you know what? I'm going to look for the best way at the best time with the best words so that this person has the best chance of hearing the truth. Now, I can't make them believe it. I can't make them uh, understand it. But I can share it. And, and so often, we don't take the time to get to know the person. Say, what's the best way? What's the best time? You know, what are the best words? How can I best share this? And if you take the time in a marriage relationship to do that, you will, your communication level will go up tremendously. Here's the third thing I th see from this passage. Hypocrisy. Don't mislead people. Show them the real thing. Um, he says this, Have a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Peter's basically saying that we should live in such a way that when we are slandered, one day the slanderers will be put to shame. They'll be put to shame. Peter's saying sometimes we suffer... Sometimes we suffer because we, we are, we're dishonest, we're, dis, we're disrespectful, we're arrogant, we're uncivil, we're, we've broken the law, and, and we cry out, uh, persecution! And Peter says, don't cry out persecution there, you're just an idiot, and you deserve what you're getting. He says, but there are times when you're not being an idiot, you're not being a jerk for Jesus, and you're going to be persecuted, and you're going to be misunderstood, and you're going to be made fun of, and you're going to be ridiculed, and you've been trying your hardest to speak the truth in a loving way, and you've gotten to know, but you've been rejected. And he says, you know, those times will happen. But we're to live out the gospel. We're to allow our words and our action to sink together so that there is no disparity between them. And, and, and we're, you know, I think, I think one of the most powerful things, we don't do this at all as Christians. One of the most powerful things you can do to share the gospel 
Here it is. When you blow it, when you sin, don't try to say you didn't. (laughs) Don't try to cover it up. Don't try to make excuse for it. Admit it. Confess it. That just shocks people. Because what does it say? It says, you know what? I blew it. I sinned. I've asked God to forgive me. Now I need to ask you to forgive me because this isn't the way I should be living. And, and a Christ, just being a Christian doesn't mean I'm perfect. <laughs> it's pretty clear that. But it means that I'm trying. I'm striving to live the way Christ wants me to. And I don't always meet the mark. I, I fall short. But that's why I need Jesus. Because I fall short. And, and you, if you start doing that and live that transparently before people, they won't walk around and say, you think you're so great. No. They'll say, well, wait a minute. I just confessed this to you last week. And a couple weeks ago, I did this. And I'm a mess. I'm an absolute mess. But you know what? I know that, and I know I need a Savior, but that's okay. You see, people will view that and go, okay, I've not seen that before. I've not seen that humility. I've not seen brokenness. I've not seen that in Christians. What I see is Christians think they have it all figured out. They have all the answers, you know. They haven't seen broken Christians that will admit it when they blow it. And that's a hard thing to do, but I tell you what, I think it's one of the most powerful witnesses you could ever have. Peter says, live, live your life in such a good way uh, that, that people will see tr- uh, Jesus. Treat all people with respect and civility and dignity. Treat them as you would want to be treated. Now, I'm going to jump down. If you're, not ex- if you're not seeing people come up to you and ask you about the hope, then you have to ask, is the hope really there? Or am I being a jerk? Am I, is my life just not measuring up to the point where they see that there's a difference in my life? Uh, clearly, your words carry uh, more weight when you're living out in a Christ-honoring way. Uh, maybe one of the things you need to do this weekend is you need to repent. Because your life, the way you're living life, is just in, in, is, it's counter to the, to the truth of the gospel counter to the truth of the hope. You're not living as though you have a living hope. You're living as if your hope is all here on earth. And you go to pieces when things on earth go to pieces. When people see real hope in you, they'll say, there's something going on in your life and I've got to have it. Now, during this series, what we're trying to do is we're trying to give you ways to share the gospel with others. And so I want to give you, pull your napkin out. That's not for a brownie that we're going to share. Sounds good, though, to have a brownie right now or something, like a chocolate chip cookie or maybe peanut butter or something. Now you're all hungry, right? But here, one of the the issues that I found with people is people oftentimes have have a hard time of seeing their need for a Savior. They think they're doing okay. So what do you do for a group of people, a person that, that thinks they're doing okay. So this is where we draw, right? Okay, so here's what we do. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to draw a ladder, okay? So just draw a ladder like this, right? So you just, and you can draw, you know, if you want to do an extension ladder or whatever, that's fine, you know? All right, so at the top, we have God, right? See, that theme is coming in fairly often. So here's what you do. You draw the ladder and you put God at the top. And we'll call it a morality ladder, okay? Uh, or a goodness or a righteousness. Call it whatever you want. So then you ask people, who's the worst person that's ever lived? Okay? Who's the worst person? And most people will say things like, well, they'll put Hitler down there, uh, you know, or maybe uh, Joseph Stalin, 
you know, or you know, you could you could you could fill in you could fill in the blank. Uh, you could put Nero or Idi Amin or Pol Pot or somebody like that. All right, so you have the bad guys down here, right? And you have God here, and you say, well, they're <laughs> amazingly far from God. Okay, no question about it. So then you say, well, who 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 do you think? are some of the best persons that have ever lived besides Jesus, okay? And you say, well, you know, maybe we'll put like Mother Teresa. Okay, so Mother Teresa's, maybe we'd put her there. You know, we're not, don't go into theological things here. Just just say, you know, she's viewed by our world as a very righteous nun who's done a tremendous amount of things. Mother Teresa would say, though, she was not perfect and she fell short you know if we wanted to put somebody else up there uh we'll put uh, billy graham you know billy graham has dedicated his whole life to sharing the gospel he shared the gospel with with millions of people he's lived a moral life his whole life so there's billy graham right good good uh illustration so then the next thing you do is you as the person that's sharing this say okay so here's where i would put me okay i'll put myself here you know i'm not hitler and i'm not stalin but i got to be honest with you i don't think i've done as much as mother Teresa has and frankly i i don't feel like i've you know done the 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 things that you know the made the change you know the the major things that billy graham has so maybe i put myself somewhere like here then what you do is this you say now where would you put yourself now most people aren't going to say i'm here okay because they're going to say well okay come on really seriously you you ask your family ask people around you they're they're probably not going to so they're going to say and they probably maybe they wouldn't no i don't know this is how you live your life right they may say okay i'm better than you but even then they would say i'm less than billy graham so generally people say somewhere in a range here they'll say this is this is me you know this is me you you know whatever okay so this is where they put themselves and you say okay so here's the problem here the problem here is for you and for me we have this like gap we have this gap that's going on and and what are we going to do because that means we all fall short right the bible says we've all fall short of the glory of god so here it is demonstrated the ladder to god and 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 we all fall short so what do we do here what's the solution and that's the good news of the gospel and the good news of the gospel is this and you want to write this verse down it's romans let me write it up here romans 517 and it's uh, excuse me i goofed that up second corinthians okay we'll edit that out in the video uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says this. This is what it says. It's a great verse to memorize. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. For God made Christ, who never sinned, meaning perfect, right? Jesus is perfect. Now, you may not want to write all this stuff on here, but Jesus is perfect. God made uh, Jesus Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made. What is this verse saying? What Paul is saying is, Jesus fills 
the gap for us, between us and God. He takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. So Jesus fills the gap. He makes me right with God by giving, uh, giving his life all, for all of my sins and all of my failures. So no matter where I put myself on here, Jesus made up the difference for me. He lived the life I, he, I should have lived and he died the death I should have died. He gave me his righteousness and he took my sinfulness. So now I'm right with God, not because of what I've done, but what he's done for me. You get that? So now I desperately, we see, I need help and I realize Jesus is the help that I need and he's the only one that can help me, right? So that's the ladder. Now, so what you do at the end is say, you say, so what's your plan? How are you going to make up this gap. And some people will say, well, I'll try to, you know, work harder. I'll, you know, believe more. I'll try, you know, whatever. And ultimately you say, but are, you're never going to get to even Billy Graham and Mother Teresa. You need help. And you say, here's what I've done. I called upon Jesus and Jesus filled the gap for me. And maybe that's what you need to do. So that's a way to share the gospel with somebody and help them into the kingdom of God. Okay. Now I want to lead you in prayer, and uh, would you stand with me? And uh, let's pray. Our Father, uh, thank you for uh, your word. And as Peter has said, let us be ready to give an answer about those who ask us about the hope that's within us. And Father, I don't know where your spirit is speaking to individual hearts tonight. It may be some of us need to get our act together because our lives really aren't showing that we have any hope or that we have been influenced at all by the gospel. Some of us have been jerks for Jesus and we thought that was a good thing. And maybe the first thing we need to do is repent of that. Some of us, Father, have lost the hope or the hope isn't really having an influence on us and through us so that others see the hope that we're living. And that's something we have to re, uh, review that hope that we have and allow it to ignite a fire in our hearts and a new hope so that we have something that shines forth. Some of us may be here, Father, and we've never received Christ as Savior. And we realize maybe for the first time that we don't measure up, that we fall short, that there's a gap there and we need help. And maybe for the first time we realize that no matter how good of a life we live or how hard we try, we're always going to fall short. And that's why heaven came to earth. And that's why Jesus came. And that's why he gave his life. To bridge the gap. To fill the void. That he lived the life we should have lived. And he died the death we should have died. And he took my sin and he gave me his righteousness. And Father, if there's anyone here who's never called upon Jesus, they've never prayed a prayer like this. Jesus, I realize for the first time I'm a sinner and I desperately need your help. And I realize that's why you came to earth. Not just to be a savior, to be a savior for me. To take my sin. To give me your righteousness. So that I could be with you and with God forever. I need this, Father. I need your son's righteousness. And Father, I pray that you would give me your righteousness through Jesus and take away my sin through Jesus. 
and I call upon him right now and ask him to come into my life. And I give him my life because he gave his life for me. I don't know what this means, Father, but I want to begin a journey with Jesus today. And so, Father, if anyone prayed that prayer, I pray they would tell someone else that they've crossed that line of faith and they've stopped trying to save themselves and they've called upon Jesus as Savior. And, Father, for the rest of us, we pray that whatever you need to do in our lives, we give you freedom to move in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.